their main word they focus on is delight and that's ultimately what we're trying to look for the people that eat our fruit we want to create delight and you appreciate that like that we're producing something that creates joy Welcome back to a special series of The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. For our third episode of The Producers in Launceston, we chat to Simon Dornoff from Hillwood Berries. Hillwood Berries is a family-run berry farm, 25 kilometres north of Launceston in the heart of the Tamar Valley. Launched in 2010 off the back of three generations of farming experience and legacy in the region, this hilly farm has grown from a two-hectare strawberry patch to more than 40 hectares of strawberries, raspberries, blackberries and blueberries. Simon Dornoff works with his family to grow berries and also to nurture the 60 staff, many of them overseas workers, that make the Hillwood project possible. My name is Simon Dornoff. I'm one of the directors and the general manager of Hillwood Berries Tasmania. We're a family berry farm which grows over 50 on 50 hectares of protected cropping. Um, we grow strawberries, raspberries, blackberries and some blueberries. Our name is Hillwood Berries and that's correct. We've got lots of rolling hills from where we are. Um, when you first walk onto the farm, you'll see a lot of, of polyhouses or, or tunnels, which is what we call them. And that's the protected cropping structures that we grow under, grow our crops under. So we're in the heart of the Tamer Valley. Um, it's a really great microclimate here. It's a, 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 a a large viticulture industry in the Tamer region and that same climatic condition lends itself well to berries. So um, when we came here 11 years ago, uh, the climate's what gave us a competitive advantage to other regions of Tasmania that grow berries. It allows us to start earlier, finish later because of the, that, that mild climate. Simon isn't the first Dornoff to grow berries and berries aren't the only produce the Dornoffs have grown. He shares the family's history in farming. My father, Robin, uh, started growing berries uh, back in 1985 at the Christmas Hills Raspberry Farm. So he was the first person to put uh, raspberry cones in the Christmas Hills Raspberry Farm outside of Deloraine that a lot of tourists will go to now and go to the cafe, which remains still in my family. Uh, Dad's farming history started back before then as a dairy farmer uh, and then... He sold out of the berry side of the business, started his own dairy farm, and then about 2003, after the, um, I guess the Twin Tower sort of pulled down the, the dairy business he was working in uh, from the 9-11 attacks, he uh, went out and diversified into dairy manufacturing, so making cream and butter under the brand Meander Valley Dairy. Um, and then we moved our factory in 2010 to this site on Hillwood, and that came with 100 acres of land and there was an opportunity at that point to grow berries again under Driscoll's and um, that first season we grew two hectares of strawberries under protected cropping but in the soil, uh, had 100,000 strawberry plants, used 25 pickers and had three full-time staff. Fast forward 11 years, we're 60 full-time staff, uh, 450 seasonal workers that help in the harvest sense and grow uh, Two million strawberry plants, uh, 15 hectares of raspberries, eight hectares of blackberries, and uh, the rest's made up of blueberries, which is about one and a half, two hectares. The world's leading berry brand is the American company Driscoll's. 
Simon explains how their Tassie farm works with this global giant. Driscoll's is the world's leading marketing and genetics company for berries. So they're an American-based company. They, they started as a family business too out of uh, Watsonville in in California. Uh, they So they've, they are a marketing company first and foremost and they, they've bred their own uh, genetics for growers so they have a number of independent growers worldwide so mum and dad farms through to corporate size like uh, a costa they grow their genetics and supply to driscoll's marketing team and then driscoll's deal with the marketing side within the supermarket chains or independent supermarkets so for us as a family farming business we're able to concentrate on the growing the picking, the harvest, nuances, everything that goes on with farming. But then once we've picked the fruit, we deliver it to a DC in Tasmania where Driscoll's then take over the distribution and sales within the supermarket and they are the ones that have the conversations with supermarket around rejections and quality um, and the likes. So it's a it's an arm that we don't have to worry about and we're still able to just focus on the farming side of what we do. Today, when you visit Hillwood, you see polytunnels to the horizon. How has Hillwood grown and developed from a small farm with strawberries in the ground to a larger operation with hydroponic plants on raised beds? As I said, we started at two hectares and strawberries was the first crop that we started with. That, um, that's been the backbone of our business um, and our innovation through strawberries has been moving to a hydroponic structure up on a, a tabletop. So traditionally you'd see strawberries growing in a, in a little soil mound bed on the ground. Um, Soil-borne diseases come into strawberries so and, and soil fuming, it's something that we weren't a fan of. So moving to hydroponics gave us an advantage in increasing our plant density from 50,000 plants per hectare to 75,000 plants per hectare, improving the ergonomics for harvest so they can pick on a table at a more ergonomic level without bending over. That increased our harvest efficiencies by about 40% and um, allowed us to increase our quality and consistency being in a hydroponic system and not having soil variability through our crop. on our other crops, we've diversified into blackberries and raspberries to help dif- uh, diversify risk, I suppose, across crops. If it's a bad strawberry year, raspberries and blackberries might pick up to help the business be more stable. And so over that time, we again started in soil for blackberries and raspberries. And now we've moved into what's called a long cane program, which is essentially we're growing the canes in a pot in a nursery system off on another site to grow them in a uh, more condensed system. And then we bring those pots to the farm and, and place them out at a growing spacing, which is six times what we would in the nursery, and fruit them on farm. And by doing that, we're actually able to have sequential releases of our long cane in these systems because we're storing them in a, in a cold store facility, tricking them into a longer winter essentially, bring them out at a later date and it allows us to spread the fruit that we supply the market over our season rather than one window. And that in turn also allows the labour that we recruit to come and work for us um, a more consistent work regime rather than peaks and troughs, which is really hard to manage in a labour sense. The berry picking process can be perilous. It's labour intensive and is the point at which berries are most likely to be damaged. Careful, clever, one-touch processes ensure Hillwoods berries head to market in pristine condition. We 
pick our berries in the field into the punnet. So we don't do a pack house system, which is traditionally a lot of strawberry farms do still. We have trolleys and being on a tabletop structure, our workers are able to pick the berries and pick it and hold it once, place it in the punnet or under the protected cropping structure so we don't have, they're not wet and we have a lot less disease. So they place it in the punnet, they weigh the punnet in the, in the, in the field and then they at that punnet gets littered in the field, put in the supermarket ready tray. So we call it sort of one touch picking so the berries aren't handled multiple times and it gives us an advantage being in Tasmania that we can chill our fruit same day and have it on the boat that night if it's picked in the morning. So it takes 24 hours off a what is already a short shelf life product to get it to market fresher. Hillwood was similar to many Australian farms in that it relied on backpackers to work the fields. Over time they realised that overseas seasonal workers were a better option. Simon believes this model has been crucial to their growth and success. About six years ago, we were predominantly using backpackers for our labour supply. But as we expand the business through market opportunities in growth, the backpacker side of our recruitment became quite unreliable and sporadic because of they can only work for it. Well, they can work longer than 88 days, but the... Um, working holiday visa to gain a second year in Australia you had to work 88 days in an agricultural um, business enterprise rural enterprise and our season's effectively twice that so we'd get to halfway through our season half our picking staff would hit 88 days they'd tick their box they'd leave and then we'd start again so we we lost all this productivity and efficiency with those that workforce and there's no continuity there because year after year we're retraining workers then the, we came across the Seasonal Worker Program, which is a, a government foreign aid initiative to the Pacific Islands, op- offering opportunity for Pacific Island workers to leave their home for nine months and come up to nine months and come and work on a farm doing harvest or any other job and send their money home back to their, their home country. And we started that through a labour hire agency but we didn't get the same rapport with the workers that we would directly employ. So the next year we went to Tonga at this time ourselves and directly recruited those workers ourselves and built a rapport with Tonga and each year we'd return, we'd see the house they'd built or the car they'd bought. And we've now built that team up to 450 workers and what that is, is there's still workers working for us that were in that original crew six years ago and those workers have now built houses for themselves and for their families. But we have a trained workforce that can arrive, hop off the plane, hop in, hop on the back of a trolley and start picking without any training. Um, and that allows us to gain efficiencies there and save on training costs and, and, and essentially a, a risk mitigation measure because we don't have mechanical harvesting here. We need hands on the ground, feet on the ground, and we're, we rely on those guys so it's really important to us that we maintain that rapport with our workforce and with our our team. So we have, as I mentioned when we're talking, a pastoral care team devoted to that crew of about six people at the moment and one in Bundaberg now. That is a, 
employees dedicated to the welfare and well-being of those workers to make sure that they're, they're fed. So we've got chefs feeding them. Um, they've got a doctor's appointment, they'll arrange a doctor's appointment. If they've got a concern at home, they'll hear them out and help that. Or if they just need to send some money home, they'll talk them through that. So that side of things has been key and crucial to our success, I think. And a lot of farms are now post-COVID world, no backpackers around are looking to our model and how they can uh, implement that on their farm. Seasonal workers are great for Hillwood, but Hillwood has also been a boon for the workers, allowing them to achieve their own goals and work towards a better and more secure life. One of our little Timorese pickers in our very first Timorese recruitment, her name's Rafina, and she uh, she's probably our best picker we've got on nearly each crop when she has a go. She knows how many strawberry punnets she has to pick to buy one brick for her house that she's building back in Timor. I only found that out about a month ago and it blew my mind that she's out there picking punnets, adding up all the bricks she needs to buy to build her house and I think that there resonates because it's that that would be the same across a lot of the workers. They've all got goals they've asked that this is the chance to form a better life um, one of the statistics I talk about often is Timor is 9% employment in their country of a country of 1.2 million people. They have a gross annual earning of $2,217 Australian a year. (laughs) So to come here and earn that in a week um, just changes their life. So they are jumping over each other of a work-ready pool of about 21,000 people to have opportunities to come and work in Australia and and make a better life for their family. incredibly rewarding and, and it's what you you remind yourself of when people look at 50 hectares of strawberry tunnels and think you're a commercial farm and you're doing it for profitability and growth and everything like that when really they are the stories that is why you get up in the morning and you deal with the you know the spot fires you need to put put out when you hear those sorts of stories and the difference that makes um, that's what's rewarding as a business and that's what all of our staff appreciate too and we appreciate them and treat them as all as a person not just a commodity which other places have traditionally done so it's it's a very important part of our business and it's a culture that we like to have flow through all of our staff soil doesn't matter when you're growing hydroponically but the peaks and troughs of temperature are crucial this part of northern tasmania has a lovely climate for berries though it's not all perfect Simon explains. Yeah, the Tamer region has, as I mentioned, a, a microclimate that has traditionally been um, apples, cherries and viticulture. And that climate um, is a lot more mild than some of the other regions. We don't get the frost, although we had snow two years ago. Um, but we we get a lot more steady climate. We don't have the, the big 35, 40 degree days. We have a 30 degree day when Launceston's at 35 and equally, when there's a frost in Launceston at minus two, it's zero or one here. So we don't have those extremes which berries like. They want to have a constant, and that's what's allowed us this region. The only weakness in this region is availability to water, um, and there is a current irrigation scheme proposed for this region that um, that the t- Irrigation Tasmania are uh, putting forward. We just need people to buy up to that and, and expand, and that would put a lot of water security to this region. Um, 
where it from where it's sourced it's should be 100 years out of 100 it'll be supplied so uh, that that's probably the one thing that lacks in this region is the water supply but the climate because we grow hydroponically you could put these in a car park and grow them uh, we, we're after the climate not after soil or um, uh, what what say Devon, East Devonport might offer a, a carrot farmer we're not we just need the climate Simon lives and breathes berries, but which ones does he love to eat? I love our strawberries at the very start of the season, but, you know, you've heard the story of people that work in a Cadbury factory and they quickly get sick of chocolate. It's, uh, it's the same here. You, my wife kills me because I never bring punnets of berries home enough because ha- I'll just walk through the field and start eating them and you, you can get yourself pretty sick of them. So I guess because we've got no blueberries, I like blueberries the most, or not enough blueberries, and they're quite seasonal still. Um, I also love our blackberries when we get them picked right. We, we have a premium line of blackberries we try to pick, and that's a very specific berry we're looking for. We're not looking for the colour. We're actually looking at the shape of the berry to get that ripeness correct. And that would be probably my other favourite berry. Polytunnels and huge sheds don't exactly scream small family farm. But how far is perception from reality? Like I described at the start, when you drive into this farm, there's a there's a 2,000 square metre warehouse and lots and lots of uh, plastic that are covering our, um, our the, uh, polytunnels that are covering our crop. And it can be perceive that this is a big commercial operation and that there's no heart and soul in any of this and and that's not true and 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 that's the perception of people on the outside looking looking in um those that work in our business and those that come and visit then get an understanding of what we're trying to do and what we achieve and we still are a uh, a father and mother with their two sons working in a business that have empowered a lot of other people around them to join our team and that's allowed us to expand and we've only ever expanded on having the people in place first and then rather than just building and uh and hoping we'll find them the right people to pick so or even manage so we're still got all the nuances that go on with family businesses we disagreements and and uh and don't quite align as you do in families uh and but we've found a way to forge you know, an opportunity to keep growing and, and that being in the last 12 months the opportunity to expand their business in Bundaberg for a, a winter operation. Simon Dornoff has grown with the family business touching every aspect of operations along the way. He shares what excites and delights him about a life intertwined with Hillwood Berries. The innovation's always exciting like, like I wouldn't have thought uh, 11 years ago when I started this and I was the guy on the tractor and Know, filling irrigation tanks and, and, and managing harvest and getting up at four in the morning for the harvest crew, I'd be here and I don't have a dirty hand anymore. I'm now managing a, you know 60 staff and the whole team and become more of a CEO type than a, or a general manager than actually a farmer. It's um, one thing we talk about is, and a phrase we use is, it's not all about growing berries. So the berries actually are the easy part. It's all the other elements. But I really enjoy having conversations with staff and seeing them evolve and and get better at what they do um i enjoyed the like i said the innovation side and um and what we've built i'm you know proud of what we've done as a business and a family business to get where we are driscoll's ethos when they breed and produce berries is their main word they focus on is delight and that's ultimately what we're trying to look for the people that eat our fruit we want to create delight and i've got two 
young little children at home, a one-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, and taking a punt and a berries home to them and just seeing them smash it um, get berries all over their face and hands, you just you appreciate that. Like that, We're producing something that creates joy. <laughs> so I think that's what makes a good berry is uh, that, that result after, that joy or delight. Hillwood is a serious commercial operation that's always looking for the next innovation, but it's also very human and very scaled too. Simon Dornoff is a CEO, but beyond the spreadsheets, he's also nurturing workers and the juicy fruit they tend and harvest. If you buy any Driscoll's berries between November and May, anywhere around Australia, there's a good chance they are literally the fruits of his labour at Hillwood. This is The Producers. I'm Danny Vallant. The Producers in Launceston is a special series celebrating the producers and people of Northern Tasmania. These podcasts are a partnership with Agricultured, a food showcase of this beautiful and rich region, sensitive to heritage, forging a tasty future. Listen to all of the Producers in Launceston podcast. Listen to all of the Producers in Launceston podcasts on the Deep in the Weeds podcast network.